You're listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 3, DSLR or mirrorless? We discuss the benefits of both systems. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Wildlife Photography Podcast uh, with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hi, Josh. Hey, hey Rob. Hey, everybody. Good to be here hey. again with you. Yeah. Hey, how are you doing? How, how have you been? Good, good. I'm, you know, excited. The heat's slowly simmering away here in the Northeast U.S. We've yeah. got some cooler temperatures and migration is in full swing, fall migration. So excited about yeah. that. Well, it's actually started raining here as well, which is a bit of a relief after, you know, m- seemingly months of sunshine and hot weather. Shouldn't really complain, but it's not really my thing. <laughs> it didn't didn't really do much for my, um, you know, for, for sort of the, the photography mojo, really. It was all, everything was sort of all brown and dry. And obviously the birds were in uh, breeding season and just recovering from from breeding. So the plumage is all pretty, uh, pretty rough. Um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't really got out much and, and shot just lately. I, you know, what, what have you, what have you been up to? You know, I've been shooting shorebirds. Shorebirds are moving down the coast. So mostly shorebirds, um, some waders are still around. We, yeah. in the U S we say waders for herons, egrets. We, we call them waders yeah. here. I know it's a bit different. I think in the UK waders can be shorebirds, right? I think. Yeah. Well, I think shorebirds is a much nicer term actually than waders. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Shorebirds. Yeah. I agree. But we, uh, we have some waders still sticking around from the breeding season. Osprey are still here. They'll be moving South soon. Um, passerines are moving through. We've got warblers. So it's exciting for the next, I'd say month and a half, there'll be a lot of movement and then the ducks come in. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that and looking forward to sort of getting back to my local lakes and and photographing the the, the waterfowl on there over the autumn and winter. I mean, it's been so dry and and they got really low actually over the summer. I walked around them. I was quite shocked to sort of three feet down and covered in algae. And Mm. yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's certainly not like they are in the winter. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, Looking forward to those days, but I did did manage a couple of days in Cornwall. It was you know I went to visit um, some family who actually you know my mum and dad actually rented a cottage down there for a week because they went down there for a wedding. Nice. So uh, Jennifer and I went to stay down with them for a, for a couple of days. So I, I did did sneak a couple of hours uh, on the beach, but I, I turned up at this beach expecting you know a few well shorebirds and gulls and things like that there and it was right at the point of it was a sort of last hour of, of daylight and i was thinking oh that everybody will have gone home by now but there weren't there were still loads of people on the beach because it was the bank mm. holiday weekend the august bank holiday weekend here and there were loads of people on the beach and i, I got quite deflated thinking oh well, i'm not gonna be able to photograph anything and the only things that were ha- still hanging around were the herring gulls and i thought oh well I'll photograph those. And actually I got some really nice shots with the mm. sun going down behind them. And I got, you know, one taking off. Oh, nice. Like. So I actually got, you know, a couple of nice shots. So I was quite pleased. But that's, goals, that's, are, goals are yeah. charismatic. I think, you know, yeah. a lot of people kind of avoid goals because you know what they're, because they're goals. Right. You know, I always thought that uh, in the birding community, if you're really into goals, they call themselves larophiles, which sounds yeah. not good, but <laughs> It's an interesting term, but for from a photography standpoint, if you spend time with them, you get yawns and the colors are pretty. The bill color, you know, some of the eye color, you know, I, I, they're very, very pretty birds. They're just common yeah. and I think not a popular subject. But if you spend time 
you get a lot of um, charismatic moments with goals, which I think is interesting. Well, and I think the other thing is because they're so confiding as well. You you know, they allow you to work with them in different ways. Yeah. So you can actually get a bit more creative because they don't they don't tend to fly away at the mm -hmm. slightest thing. I mean, I did have a I did have a ring plover on that beach as well, but of course I couldn't get anywhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just flew off. And I think there were a couple of turnstones around and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't get anywhere near those. It was a it was a bit of a shame. But anyway, you know, autumn is pretty much with us. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the migration. I'm, I've got loads of uh, hirundines out the back, uh, flying across the field, at the back of my house at the moment. I've got sort of they're all um, obviously flocking up, ready to fly back to Africa. So I've got I've got swallows and uh, and house martins. Um, mm. Swift, the Swifts like we get as well, but they've already gone. Um, okay. You know, they, they left sort of th two or three weeks ago, I would have thought. Um, but no, I'm getting loads of those flying low. A lot of young swallows actually flying low over the, um, you know, over the, you know the, the plowed field at the back nice. of the house. They're, They're fun uh, to watch. They're amazing yeah, they birds. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I really, think. really big numbers. In fact, I, you know, earlier in the year in the summer, I had them. I had one day where they just literally flocked around the house and. And they sat on the telephone wire, literally outside the window of the room I'm in now. And I managed to shoot some high key stuff because it was quite sort of high cloud and bright. So I shot some high key stuff, which I'm quite pleased with. They work um, well, speaking of high key, in urban environments on wires, yeah. poles. Yeah. I think they, they, if you silhouette them even or you go high key, they incorporate well, I think, in man-made structures and some of the compositions. But uh, it's interesting you mentioned it too. In the summer, I had one day, it was really humid. And there must have been a lot of bugs at night. Uh, and for whatever reason, a, a decent amount of them came in off the bay in the morning and they were just all over my house eating bugs, like, uh, you know, flying yeah. up the window. It was an amazing <laughs> scene. Uh, I didn't even photograph it. It was just fun to watch it. I had my coffee in the morning and... Uh, yeah. Sat back and I appreciated it. Well, it's 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 good, isn't it? I mean, I sometimes sit out in the garden with, with Sky at lunchtime, just taking a break. You know, I sit and I just watch them flying overhead. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Well, I've had I've had hobby actually this year, flying over the house, wow. trying to take um, swallows in flight. Wow, it's wow. Uh, it's quite good. In fact, they're chasing. That's them a off. tough. That's a tough. <laughs> that's a challenge. I would imagine <laughs> it is, but I think they're yeah. quite successful at it at times. Wow. But I've, I've got I've got loads of birds coming into the garden as well at the moment. I mean, I'm filling the feeders twice a day. Wow. You know, and you you yeah. think actually in the autumn when food's abundant, you wouldn't you wouldn't get so many. But I'm I'm yeah I'm, I'm you know goldfinches and greenfinches and chaffinches, so a lot of finches, mm. uh, and, and and a lot of tits as well are coming in at the moment nice. so uh, yeah and the, and they they seem to be sorting their plumage out so you know very very shortly i'll be able to get back to photographing those in the you know in the garden again so yeah it should very be a lot cool. of fun you know speaking of gardens for the first time this year i put in a pollinator garden in my new house and i Brilliant. just have it's been such an enjoyment monarchs are moving through now the big monarch migration and i've got some milkweed so i've had my macro lens and i go out each morning i've been having a lot of fun with that uh and again it mixes things up you know i don't know josh galecki doing macro wild art um really moved me to macro because you know when we judge yeah. these photos we see so many macro images and i'm thinking and i i've always had a macro lens i've used it sparingly and I'm like, what am I doing? I need to shoot more with the macro. And yeah. I'm glad I did because, you know, it's it really mixes things up, especially for me where I like mostly mammals and birds who are historically, that's what I've shot. But in the depths of summer and hot days and, you know, even, you know, mid-afternoon, you have a macro lens and, you know, there's just more subjects. It, it extends 
the shooting season, especially in, yeah. in the summertime, July and August. It's great. Yeah, it does. And talking of macro lenses, I'm really looking forward to getting to um, shooting fungi oh, yeah. uh, as well, because it's fungi season now. I mean, it's 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 still, while we were chatting off air, it's still sort of tropically warm uh, here. And, and the, you know, it's been raining quite a lot. Um, so I know that uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of fungi coming out in, in some of the local woodlands. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go off in a couple of days, I think, and, uh, you know, and, and try and find some of those to photograph. I might even make a film because I, I haven't done a lot on the YouTube channel recently. So, um, mm. yeah, look out for that, people. I'll, I'll, I'll make a film on, on photographing fungi in the next few days. So, that, that's something I've wanted to do as well. And I might even try to do it in the next couple of weeks. You know, I, I've got a little pen light. Uh, and I've always wanted to take some time, find a nice patch, use the pen light and, you know, yeah. put together, you know, do some photo stacking, put a composite. You can come up with some amazing, really moody scenes, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and the good thing about the good thing about fungi is they don't fly away. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to sneak yeah. up on them. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> anyway, we've been chatting for like 10 minutes. Yeah. We haven't really, we haven't even told people what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, what are we talking about, Rob? <laughs> well, Josh and I decided we, we'd we'd uh, talk about uh, the sort of mirrorless versus DSLR, uh, you know, debate, um, because uh, you know you've moved over to uh, mirrorless pretty much now, haven't you? Yeah, and uh, much quicker than I originally thought. I thought I yeah. was going to be a hybrid shooter for a few years, and things just happened so quickly. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm full mirrorless now. I've been a Canon shooter, um, for, since I've, since I started shooting actually. So, um, I've just moved from the Canon EF lens system to the RF and I've gone to the mirrorless bodies now. Yeah, no. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an incredible, uh, transformation, I think, because uh, I think you're like me. I mean, you, you just think this is, a, is as significant as the move from film to digital this move from DSLR Absolutely. to mirrorless. And although I've tried the, the Olympus or OM system, as we need to call them now, uh, system before, it was probably, well, it was about four years ago, actually, mm. I, I tried it. Things have moved on significantly since then. Um, and obviously, I'm still shooting with a, with a DSLR. I still shoot with the, with the D850 because I'm a Nikon shooter. Uh, but let's what, tell people about your sort of experience sort of with that sort of transformation from you know the, the sort of dslr through to mirrorless and you know the main advantages as, as you see it yeah absolutely one thing i'll say really quickly on the om systems they first developed uh, a few years ago and this was kind of the trend when you when it comes into all of the new features in cameras the pro capture Oh, I the pro capture is amazing. Refer, yeah, which is yeah. just you know, and for the folks who don't know pro capture, it actually it's it's a program where it will take images before you hit the shutter button. It's just, it's so you can get birds taking off and all of the things action wise that you wouldn't normally anticipate and you would miss in the past. So that was yeah. a huge thing. And when it comes to form and function too, I mean, there's you know there's pros and cons when it comes to depth of field with the, you know the two times crop factor. Um, for you know for their cameras but overall if you want something light you want something to put in a backpack and move around in the field that was huge you know so there's even that i think has been a big change and i think that's part of you know one of the advantages i think when it comes to mirrorless uh it's lighter um you know the yeah. gear is not as heavy and it's lighter and that i think is true probably across 
all of the systems. Folks just don't want big, bulky, and heavy. Nobody wants that. Frankly, nobody likes shooting off a tripod. I, I, I used to shoot much more on a tripod. But, you know, with these new mirrorless systems and the new cameras coming out, when it comes to image stabilization, it's incredible now. I very rarely shoot with a tripod. If it's a landscape shot or I need motion blur, or I'm shooting waterfalls, I'll have a tripod. Outside of that, very rarely anymore am I on a tripod. If I have flash and I have a bracket and I'm shooting songbirds, it'll be on a tripod. But other than that, I avoid a tripod. That's one of the advantages. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Actually, I very, very rarely use a tripod anymore. The only yeah. times I tend to use them, actually, is when we're talking about photographing fungi uh, and plants and things like that. It's really useful when you're doing mm -hmm. that sort of thing to get critical focus on the right part of the frame, particularly if you're doing shallow depth of field stuff, yeah. you know, and it's all sort of RT, but you need the the critical element you need absolutely pin sharp it's exactly. really good for that to have it on a tripod to zoom in on the on the screen on the back and make sure you've nailed the focus and uh, yeah. manually in the right place so that's really the only time i tend to use them i think i i probably would use them I, i've got plans to get into the water this winter hmm. with some of the water birds and i think i'd mount the camera on a tripod then um and get in with some chest waders and yeah and even with um, the image stabilization, it's so good. You know, I've got a Canon uh, R5, R6. You hold that out. I can take a shot, a one-second exposure of a waterfall shot, and it, it will be relatively sharp. It's amazing what's being done. So I think yeah. huge leaps and bounds on image stabilization. Um, another huge thing when it comes to, for nature photographers, wildlife in particular, and this was a game, a game changer for me, a silent shutter. That's huge when you're out in the field. If you're photographing shy subjects or you're close, you're in a blind, or you spend all this time crawling up to where you are, you're positioned, and that mirror slap comes in, and it makes noise, and animals notice this. Um, some don't care, but some do. And I've had a lot of sequences over the years where the, sh the shutter was just too loud. My 1DX or my 7D, whatever I was shooting, would go off, and you'd hear the machine gun. Yeah, the Nikon, the Nikon's are even worse. Yeah, the, D, yeah. the D4 and, and the D5. Oh, crikey, it is like a Gatlin gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And having that silent shooting with the electronic shutter is—it's that again. That was a game changer as well. Uh, you yeah. can get up close, and you know you can have I mean, some people. I, I know are rightly a bit concerned because they don't know they're shooting. There's actually now introduce sounds you can turn on artificial sounds just so folks know that yeah. they're they're taking images um and that was huge well, uh, well that, that was number one on my list actually was the advantages of of mirrorless is you know that silent shutter i'd say the funny thing was the first time because david tipling has been shooting uh with olympus kit now for probably five years i think it must be getting on for five years and the first time i i sort of saw him with that kit we went to photograph um snow buntings on the norfolk coast so i drove up to norfolk for the day and uh, met him up there and, and of course i was i was lying on the on the on the sort of shingle on the beach next to him photographing these snow buntings yeah, and I, I wasn't aware he was taking anything. You know, was, I always wanted to turn around to him. Are you, are you actually going to take any pictures, David? And then, of course, I realized there's no, no shutter yeah. stand. And that was my first experience of it. And it's extremely bizarre when you've been used to photographing with DSLRs for so many years and you're used to that reassuring sort of shutter noise because you actually know you're taking pictures. So I, I guess that does take some getting used to. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I was shooting with DSLRs with other folks who had uh, mirrorless systems, and I would always think, oh, you're missing the moment. Are you not shooting this? <laughs> of course, they were yeah. shooting it, but uh, yeah. And even, you know, when you don't have your camera in your hands, if you have a remote setup or remotely triggered setup, camera trap setups, if you have uh, an electronic shutter, you're not going to startle the animal. You know, how many shots where I've had mirrorless setups whether they're camera traps or remote and, you know, you get, you know, you're in a position where the animal's in the frame and all you get is a butt shot, you know, by the time, <laughs> or, you yeah. know, you get one shot and, you know, the animal hears it and the animal runs. You don't get that with a silent shutter. So it's huge. Yeah. yeah you've got more opportunity, haven't you? Yeah. And no, yeah. that was not number one on my list of advantages was, uh, w was that for sure. Um, should we talk about, because uh, the one, let's talk about one of the disadvantages as I see it from a sort of, you know, from a DSLR user's point of view. And that's the sort of viewfinder, <laughs> you mm. know, and that I, I know they're a lot, lot better now. You know, the modern sort of electronic uh, viewfinders are much better, but that sort of lag that you yeah. can get for me was quite disconcerting when I tried um, mm. the mirrorless system for the first I mean, I guess it's something that you get used to. But for me, that was, you know, that was a um, not a stumbling block, but it was something I, I knew I'd need to get used to and wasn't really that keen on. Yeah. Some of the cameras, the newer cameras are getting much better with that. Um, I have an R5 and I also have an R3, which I got recently. And the R3 seems to be better, I, although I haven't upgraded the firmware on the R5 in a while. Maybe they I don't know if you could actually fix that. But what I've always tried to do to minimize that, I'll hit the, as I'm bringing the camera up. I'll, I'll tap the shutter button. So while I'm bringing the camera up, it gives that, that delay happens when I'm bringing it up to my eye, but it took me a while to get used to with an optical viewfinder, of course, shooting a DSLR, you don't have that. Um, you right. know, you're instantly viewing the scene. Um, now I think the good news is when it comes to the viewfinder EVF versus optical, you know, from, from an exposure standpoint, there's no chimping, you know, you, you can expose, you know, obviously looking right into, uh, the camera. So you're not really going to screw up your exposure because you see your exposure through the EVF. You don't have that, that opportunity yeah. through the optical viewfinder. You have to sometimes chimp and, and you know, uh, you can experiment, especially when, if you're shooting high key, if you want to go up, up to three stops and you're doing certain things for an artistic effect, being able to see that in camera is great. And it helps, it helps you, you know, make exposure adjustments on the fly much quicker, especially if there's action. Yeah, and, and I often find that with when I'm shooting into the light uh, and I might be just shooting water birds or whatever it might be, and I want to go from taking something a bit more literal to something more artistic. So, you know, perhaps underexposing by two or three stops sometimes and just, you know, look, looking for those highlights to come through and the rest of it being, being pretty dark. It's, it's a bit of a guessing game sometimes. You know, you're using your experience to to dial in a bit of um, exposure compensation. So you need to know how the camera meters in normal circumstances and you need to sort of kind of guess roughly where you need to be. And you know what it's like. Sometimes these things happen in a split second and all you've got is that, you know, half a second to, to, to capture what's mm -hmm. in front of you. So I can, you know, I really do get the advantage of, of, of being able to see the, the effect of your exposure settings you know, through the, through the viewfinder, I think is, you know, that's a real advantage as well. Uh, as yeah. Andy Rouse says, he said, I turn the dials until it looks nice. because he, <laughs> He's looking through the thing and he, he said, yeah. I don't care. I don't care what about the settings. It's yeah. not important. It's, yeah. it's, it's the, it's the resulting image that's important. 
Yeah, you can kind of move away from, you know, the old histogram theory, right? You know, try to, you know, get as close as you can to the right of the histogram, the old exposure techniques yeah. in the DSLR world. Like if you're shooting, a matter of fact, I was in the backyard. I had a great egret a couple of days ago, bright white, sunny conditions. So normally, you know, you know, you're probably, you know, minus one stop on the exposure meter. Yeah, but I think if, so, yeah. if you want the rest of the background to even be darker and you want the grid to stand out, well, maybe you want to go down more than that. You know, maybe you want to go down even two stops and you can brighten the bird a little bit and then everything else, you know, so all these different things you can do a lot more easily when you're looking through the EVF. The one disadvantage I'll, I'll mention on mirrorless cameras, well, it was initially perceived as a disadvantage. I don't know if it is anymore, because I think the technology is catching up with it, but battery life, when you turn on your camera, you have to turn on the EVF, it's using battery. So when you look through the EVF, obviously yeah. it's digital, the battery is using up energy with an optical viewfinder. You don't have to do that. So, um, the earlier mirrorless cameras, there was a perception or probably rightly so, I think more than a perception, the battery life was, uh, didn't, it was not anywhere close to DSLR battery life. Um, they, they have really gotten much better. Uh, I know, for instance, I was talking about Canon, the R3, it's got the same battery that was used in the one DX series. And my battery is fantastic. I can shoot thousands of images. I can shoot all day with it. Uh, the R5, I have a battery grip where I put two batteries in. It's fine. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's not as good as, uh, the R3, well, like a one DX series, if you will. But I think the battery life has caught up. That was a big issue, I believe early on. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I, yeah. I remember with with Olympus, that was a that was a bit of an issue. You need to carry around an army of batteries with you. <laughs> but then that gear is so light that I don't think it really matters. <laughs> and you know, I haven't shot mirrorless in extreme cold climates. I can I've been in Minnesota in the wintertime shooting great gray owls and things, and I was in negative uh, forty five degree weather, which was really cold. And this was this is Fahrenheit. And I had a 1DX at the time, and it held up. The battery life was yeah. substantially less, but it held up. Uh, Yellowstone in winter, um, it was this past this past winter, I was in Yellowstone, and it was cold. It was like negative 10 Fahrenheit, and I had uh, the mirrorless systems with me. I had an R5, uh, and I had I have a, I think I just had the R5 with me at the time, and it held up well. Um, I was a little I was afraid in light of the durability and how it would stand up. Uh, but I haven't been in anything as extreme as, a, as I was in Minnesota. Negative 45 was the most extreme I've been wow. in. Um, but I'd be curious to see how some of the newer mirrorless would handle. And like, you know, uh, again, this is very niche, but like Elzemir or, you know, Alaska in the wintertime or some of these other spots. Uh, yeah, well, I, th I think um, I think Olympus, I can't remember what they said, because I know somebody that uh, that did go to Elzemir um uh within the last year or so and they were talking about um borrowing some olympus kit just to mm. do some videoing uh, and i was talking to you know the, the the guys at olympus and just saying you know what what can it take and it it was surprisingly low i think although i don't think they've tested them in in, in those sorts of extreme conditions um you know thoroughly but i, I you know we're coming you know and, and talking about you know, um, resilience, uh, you know, and we're talking about OM system in particular. I don't know if the, if the Canon is the same, but the weather ceiling on that camera as well mm. is just amazing. We've all seen those videos <laughs> of people <laughs> putting them under the shower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's an issue if you're shooting, you know, in South America, or you're in a tropical setting, um, you know, you, you I treat, I treat gear as it's meant to be treated. Like most people do. It's a tool, right? It's not something yeah. that you want to put in your living room and have it all shined up. It's going to get peed up. So 
that's another important thing, you know, outside of, you know, just cold climates, you know, how does it stand up to humidity? How does it stand up to moisture? Um, and that's very, very significant. So yeah, I've, I've seen some of the ads on that a few years ago. It was pretty impressive to see. Um, well, I, I had a chat with Peter Van Busek about that. And he said, no, it's true. He said, honestly, I tried it out, shoved it under the shower. And he said, and he's shooting in Costa Rica and these sorts of places all the time. And he, he must give his kit, you know, a real test. And he's brilliant. It's just, yeah. just it's brilliant. So, yeah, I would trust what Peter says, because when it comes to tropical shooting, he is yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 yeah, he the man. <laughs> for that, that's for sure. <laughs> you know in, fact, he's, in fact, he's over in the UK at the moment. Is he really? Think, yeah, he, he he's. Uh, I think he's shooting at um, a place called uh, Snettersham, which is in Norfolk, and okay. uh, it's it's um, a place where at this time of the year, huge congregations of, of shorebirds, so mm. not and and these sorts of things. I mean, just in their thousands, oh, uh, and it is it's a real spectacle. Yeah, so he's 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 over at the moment. It's just, it's just a shame. It's just I I go and meet him, but it's like four and a half hour drive there and a four and a half hour drive back, and yeah, oh, it's a lot of driving in a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a bit of a shame, but uh, wow, yeah, something. You know, it, you mentioned your um, number one was silent shutter in terms yeah. of the event. I'll give you my number one actually. Uh, now that I think about it, I would say it's probably the autofocus systems in the mirrorless. The introduction of AI, uh, the animal eye, yeah. and being able to have autofocus points all over your your screen, and having the AI which would which locks onto the animal, the bird, whatever you're photographing, you can compose in frame. It's amazing. You don't have to worry about moving focus points around. Uh, you can put the animal wherever you want in the frame for wildlife photography, and it minimizes cropping. Uh, it, it, it gives you the ability to capture much more on through an action sequence. Certainly you're able to, if you're, you know, you're a keen shooter and you know how to operate the autofocus systems on the DSLRs, you can certainly still capture this stuff, but not like having, no, I, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a game changer. It isn't really it a ball is. ache having to move that focal point around yeah. when you've got something happening in front of you and you, you know, particularly if your hands are cold as well. Yeah. And you, <laughs> And the focus points didn't cover the didn't cover the entire you know the the screen or the sensor. So no, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's got a lot better, but I, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's like with with a Canon, but uh, aren't they pretty much? I think the Z nine is pretty much the whole um, the whole sort of uh, frame. Now you can move the focal points around to the right to the edge. Yeah, so. yep, that's right. And and I think it's the same across you know most of the manufacturers now. It's yeah, you know, they have focal points all all across and you can compose in frame. And, you know, if you want to put something in the upper left corner or, you know, you don't have to worry about getting things closer to the center and then you have to crop in. And a lot of these, uh, the DSLRs that I've shot with over the years, I was shooting at 18 megapixel. And if I had to get an action sequence and, you know, the animal was in the frame, well, that's a significant crop. And, you know, do you, can you make a print out of it? Well, maybe. So, you know, yeah. I would say the autofocus uh, in the AI introduction, the animal AI, it's huge, huge game change. Uh, that I think is probably the biggest leap for me. And of course yeah. that matters most with behavior. It yeah. And, most I, with action. and I have to say that even, you know, with, um, you know, with, with moving that sort of single point focus around, which I use quite a lot, sometimes it, it doesn't grab 
exactly where you want it to grab, it will grab something else on the bird. So if, if you've got a bird with its back to you, or let, let's let's sort of give that as an example. So you've got something relatively large like a goose, and its, it's sort of head is turned back towards you, and it's sort of tucked under its wing or something like that. Uh, quite often, even though I've got the focal point on the bird's head, it will want to grab and gravitate towards the sort of midpoint of the body. And, and that's really annoying. And I'm yeah. assuming that the AI is is far more accurate than that. It's far better at actually sorting those situations out. Yeah, there's a margin of error there. Um, it depends on, you know, the contrast of the scene and the backgrounds. But overall, um, even if uh, and, and how close the animal is in the frame and so forth, but even if it doesn't lock onto the eye um, or it can't find the eye, it'll lock onto the body of the animal. And, you know, for the most part, it works well. And if it doesn't work well initially, I'll just, I have, um, I'll use spot focus. I'll, I'll focus on the bird. And then once I, I initially hit focus and I turn to AI and I hit the button that I have for the AI, it'll, it'll lock onto it. Um, and it, it works well. Um, there's, there's certainly a, there's an error rate there, but it's not extremely high. And you could work around that of course as well, but yeah. I, yeah. The autofocus is just incredible. It's, you know, I have so many more images now when I come away from a scene that has some sort of action component to it or motion or um, something that's dynamic in the frame. That's it's huge. And it's properly in focus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much. So the culling is, and that's the other difficult thing too. Culling is, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't complain. I'd rather have more images and be able to pick out the right frame out of but the you're culling a lot more images with these cameras and well i was just about to talk, two, I, was, I was gonna get onto frame rate yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the next thing <laughs> i mean it's insane crazy it's crazy i mean z9 20 frames a second in full raw yeah i mean that's i mean where are we going to end up I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing and if you turn it to jpeg you get 30 and then you can and then you can adjust the the, the size down of the actual um, image, mm -hmm. and it will. Okay, so the original Nikon that I bought, uh, sorry, the original Canon I bought was the five D, the very first five D that they produced, and you remember that's twelve megapixels. And I thought, oh, this is that was a game changer of a camera. Yeah. But now you can shoot a twelve megapixel image, so as big as that original five D, <laughs> you can shoot a hundred and twenty frames a second. It's crazy. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think, and maybe that's the future. I'm wondering if, you know, maybe it'll change. I don't know, but I've always assumed where we are right now, it's just going to be video down the line. You're going to have a camera, you'll roll the video, and you're going to be able to take, you know high resolution stills out of the video. Maybe that's where, maybe that's what's next because yeah. any kind of action, I mean, you know, 30 frames, 20 frames, it's more than enough. I, a lot of people I know, they have these cameras and they don't even, they, you know, they scale it down. They'll shoot, you know, whatever I, certain cameras, they, they give you the ability to shoot at slower speeds and they'll do that. If they're photographing bears or moose or things that move slow. They don't need that many frames. I don't, I always like to have it. So I, I just, yeah, you, I have well, a lot more to go through. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I was looking at the, <laughs> I was looking at the price of memory cards because the thing is, you know, it's all very well having a camera that will do 20 frames a second in raw at whatever stupid <laughs> megapixel count. The Z nine is 45 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but you need a card that can write the information as quickly as your 
you know creating it yeah and some of those those cars are about 600 pounds so that's what i have a i have a one terabyte card a friend of mine has a two terabyte card and again i never would have thought years ago i mean i have external hard drives smaller than and one thing i think that's been so dramatic too is Normally, we haven't gone and from a frame rate, we haven't gone from, you know, 10 frames, 11 frames. It hasn't been incremental. A couple of years ago, I was shooting a lot with a 5D Mark IV, and that was seven frames a second. Now I'm shooting with an R5 and an R3, and that's 20 and 30 frames a second. So, I mean, that that's, this is what, just maybe in two, three years time, you know, mm. so the progress on the frame rate really has just rocketed forward with the mirrorless systems. It hasn't been as incremental as other types of technology and cameras. Uh, and for somebody who likes to shoot action and wildlife, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, as you say, it sort of gives you that opportunity to choose. You know, it gives you a lot more choice from yeah. the from the sequence that you've shot. And that, as I said, the, these action sequences, I mean, they're over in a split second, some of them. Yeah, and that's you right. Think of, you know, and, and even at sort of, nine frames a second which my d850 will do with a battery grip and the, <laughs> and the right right battery you know you you stand a better chance than me even at that you know and, and i've always thought that's enough for me but yeah and i think it's for certain things you know whether it's you know uh, birds or birds in flight or a peregrine falcon or you know some sort of you know action with mammals and certain things but outside of that if you're taking like a you know, a, a nature scape with an animal in the frame. And, you know, we just judge space for wild art, all those shots. I mean, you know, you don't need 30 frames a second for any of those shots. If you're shooting macro and you have a flash set up, you know, you want to have, you know, you're synced under your sync speed. So you're shooting one, 200, whatever to click, 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 click. That's all you need. So I think it, it helps in certain instances, I think when it comes to the frame rate, but for yeah, many other instances, it's not, you know, you don't need that, you know, I guess it's sports and wildlife, really, isn't it? Is where yeah. the frame rate really comes into into its own, uh, and that that's really where the, the you know it's it's well press as well, I guess. But um, and I would even say know. fast wildlife, you know, not even just wildlife, birds. Uh, you don't, you yeah. know, if you're shooting a frog or you know an insect or something like that, or you really don't need it. Um, Having said that, I I was shooting butterflies in flight when I was in Cornwall. Ah. That would just come to, in handy. <laughs> and, and I thought that would that would come in really handy. The pro yeah. capture number one, mm. because I wanted to take them as they were taking off from the flower. And so that would have been really handy. <laughs> and the frame rate. I mean, I managed yeah. to get a couple of decent shots actually, but yeah, it, it would have been really handy to have a faster frame rate and the pro capture would have absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really, a good point. Really good. One thing I think it's important to mention as well, if you're using flash, that slows you down. You're obviously not going to be able to put a flash unit on, even with an external, you know, juicer, if you will, and have 30 frames a second with flash. It's just not going to happen. So if I have flash on any of my mirrorless cameras, actually, when the first mirrorless cameras came out, uh, for the most part, most of them, you had to use the mechanical shutter to operate flash. And now the newer cameras, you don't have to. You can use the electronic shutter with flash, which is great. They right. sync up. But if you're using flash and high-speed sync, you're still going to have to slow your frame rate down. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get 20 frames and 20 shots with a flash. You know, I, I slow it down dramatically. So well, that, I mean, that the thing is, it. you know, the, the flash isn't going to be able to yeah. recharge even with the best batteries. You know, in in that yeah. in that time, that's for sure. Yeah. You need a bazooka <laughs> battery to. <laughs> you would. They get rather hot, I reckon. <laughs> I would think, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh dear. But I think one of the other perhaps disadvantages that we haven't really spoken about is probably price. Mm. Um, because it's not a cheap thing to switch. Uh, you know, these these systems, are because, well, I know with the Nikon and the Canon, um, they've changed their lens mount. Yeah. <laughs> and although yeah, they've got an adapter, and although I, you know, the, what from what I've heard in terms of the Nikon adapter, I can't speak for the Canon adapter, from what I've heard about Nikon is, you know, that's really good. It works very, very well with the F-mount um, lens system. But, you know, you've not only got to buy the camera body. And I guess, you know, if you want the Z9, for example, which gives you all the things that we've been talking about. So let's let's start with that. So that's going to be what, five and a half thousand pounds for the camera body. So if you've got all the old mount glass, it's going to be another two or three hundred pounds for the adapter. So then you've got to buy a memory card that's capable of writing quickly enough to take advantage of the frame rate and that's 600 pounds for one yeah and then you know what's going to happen you're going to want all the new lenses that are coming out because <laughs> yeah. you know let's face it you know they're going to be really good and i've i've seen some really good reviews on them so then you're going to start wanting to add all that to your arsenal as well and you're looking at a situation where you've got to remortgage your house yeah to to actually afford it it's very so you've expensive. got to weigh these thing up, these things up, and if you want something like that 400 mil f 2.8 that Nikon have just bought out, yeah, <laughs> uh, try thirteen and a half thousand pounds. <laughs> and you know the supply chain issues don't make it any more easier no. either. I mean, I know you were talking about the the Z9, and I know a lot of people, and I've seen it online, eBay, and some of these other places. There there haven't been many around. That maybe there's. A, Things have kind of started to push out over the past few months. People were paying $70,000 US dollars for these things above, you know, just because they wanted one. So, and the supply chain was backed up. So that's probably adding in a lot. I've even seen some camera companies, they were increasing their prices over the past year just due yeah. to, you know, the inflation and all these other economic conditions that we're going through right now. So yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult thing. I think with the adapters, they all seem to work well. I've spoken to some other folks. The Canon one, I think works well. And I'm in, when it comes to lenses, I'm a hybrid. I, I still have the EF, the older lenses that I love, um, that I continue to shoot. And then I have, you know, some of the RF glass, the newer glass. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very expensive thing. Um, I always try to sell my old gear and it's difficult. It's hard to sell it at the price you want, but that helps a little bit. You sell your gear yeah. and then you put that toward, toward new gear, but you're always chucking in more money. <laughs> yeah. And well, isn't, isn't that a good, uh, sort of another discussion we could have and, and, and what we've spoken about before is, you know, is actually trying to do wildlife photography on a bit of a budget. Yeah. Because, you know, when you start talking about, you know, all this outlay, you know, for a mirrorless system, I mean, I mean, even if you went to OM system, for example, and you picked up the OM one, what's that? couple of two and a half thousand for the camera body i'm guessing here um and i th and he wanted the 150 to 400 which is now six and a half or seven thousand pounds you know so you're looking at not far off ten thousand just for that combination yeah and it, you know that's a that's a lot of money yeah um, you know, and I made, and that's why I made the decision not to, to sort of switch because there was, it's, I think it was pointless for me picking up a, you know, a Z7 II or something like that, which would be the sort of area 
the price point of camera bodies that I'm used to buying with a sort of D8 with a D850 equivalent, effectively. Um, and I just I just thought that doesn't give me enough advantage because it hasn't got the frame rate of the Z9, which I'd want, and it hasn't got you know it hasn't got all the you know it hasn't got the 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 autofocus wasn't really very well spoken of um in you know in that camera whereas the z9 sorted all that out so mm -hmm. i thought well if i'm going to spend the money there's no point in buying those sort of what i see as the sort of first generation mirrorless from a nikon perspective because i don't want you know i'm not into changing brands i i've thought very carefully about perhaps sort of bringing an om system as a as a, a additional system because it's lightweight and you know the mirrorless and all the advantages that, that gives you uh but i'd keep the nikon gear as well so in the end i decided that for a lot less money i'd buy a secondhand d850 keep all my you know existing lenses and just work with that buy the battery grip and get the nine frames a second out of it yeah. get through the next couple of years with that and that's not a bad setup anyway no. it does 99 percent of the things that i do it's perfect for yeah. so for that like one percent you know of, of that would my photography would improve because i'd have the kit, it wasn't worth the extra money. And that's how I looked at it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I would advise anyone, if you want to get a setup that doesn't cost a lot of money, you can get a, you know, an older DSLR, maybe get a 70 to 200. And yeah, you're not going to get the Osprey up close, picking up a fish at, you know, six in the morning before the light comes up in the blue hour. You're not going to get that. But outside of that, you're going to be able to put together some beautiful, beautiful images. And, you know, even what we see in the contests, and some of the, you know, the best wildlife shots, they're using 70 to 200. They're not using 600 millimeter. You don't need that huge focal length. You can come up with more creative images in shorter focal lengths and use a DSLR. And, you know, you can a couple of thousand bucks and you've got a, you've got a setup. I mean, there's no way to avoid that. You're going to have to spend a couple thousand dollars either way. But that said, you can get into the field and have some really great results, especially if you know your way around a camera and know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as we talked about in the last sort of episode of, of the podcast, you know, that's kind of the way wildlife photography is going anyway, isn't it? It's that sort of more environmental type yeah. sort of shot that, that seems to be in vogue at the moment. So, uh, and, and, you know, I said, I think, and most of the other judges think that's probably one of the most difficult things to do yeah, um, and get right. Because there, you know, as, as we talked about last time, there are so many more elements you know, to, to, to those images. But uh, yeah. now that's, that's another discussion we can, we can have another time, I think is, is wildlife photography on a budget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably, you know, at this point in time with everything that's happening in the world and the cost of living crisis, probably not a bad, not a bad subject to get into. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, I agree. Yeah. Cause a lot of people want to get into it and, you know, cost is definitely, it's, it's prohibitive, you know, because, you know, there's, so many expenses. And like you said, the memory cards now are a huge thing. And that's, a, that's an expense that I've been spending two, three times more than I ever have because of these larger megapixel high frame rate cameras, you need more capacity. I, I will say on the mirrorless front, I think that's one thing that's um, handicapped Sony a little bit. Uh, if you look at the A1 and well, the A1 that just came out, they have the CF Express type A cards. And I think the capacity on those is is it 160? I think it's 160, um, which is not a lot, frankly, especially if you want to yeah. shoot to both cards and you're constantly, you know, the CF Express Type B, the capacity is a lot bigger on those. I've got 512s. I got one terabyte. 
two, some, some folks are buying two terabyte now. It's crazy. So yeah. having that capacity is great in the field. The last thing you want to do is be at the end of a card and something's going on. Right? It's the yeah, worst. Exactly. Thing. I mean, it's, it's that is your nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, it's happened to me. Uh, <laughs> I distinctly remember one time I was in Alaska. There was, we were photographing coastal brown bears and we had these two bears they were play fighting, but fighting. And, you know, they were standing up on their hind legs and going at it. And I'm just laying the hammer down, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, card fool, you know, <gasps> you know, my bag. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's like, where's the card? <laughs> yeah. My hands are shaking. I'm like, oh my God. You know, so you don't, you don't want to run out of capacity in the field. Well, at least you had a card in your camera. I've told this story, I think on one of the, one of the lives of one of the YouTube lives we did, <laughs> but David Tipling. Uh, went out to shoot seals um in norfolk <laughs> at, at dawn so he made the effort got up early walked to the mile or whatever he needs to walk from the car to the place and got there and realized he hadn't got a card in his camera ah uh, there's a negative silent shutter that's a negative yeah. for an electronic shutter i guess yeah if you're well, used to anyway. not hearing anything but uh, oh dear so that's yeah <laughs> but wow. I've, I've the other thing that i've had is the battery you know fail on you uh, oh, as well yeah. sort of just yeah run out of juice at the wrong time and you just think no <laughs> <laughs> yeah because yeah, sometimes you know I, I i shoot in the backyard a lot and i'm you know when it comes to charging the battery up i'm like yeah i got you know one bar it should be fine you know and i risk it you know you you start you know playing with that a little bit sometimes i just i just don't like to charge up all the time i don't know maybe i'm just lazy that way but uh yeah, well i think it goes back it goes back to those sort of days of um, battery memory doesn't it do you remember that when you had to run them all the way down before you could recharge them again yeah otherwise yeah. they lost that capacity which i don't think is a problem with the sort of lithium-ion things but uh yeah it's it's sort of still ingrained in me that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> excuse me <laughs> that you have to run them all the way down before you charge them up again yeah, that used to be a thing with laptops too, I remember, you know, but I don't know if that's still a thing, but no, yeah. I think with all this lithium ion technology, it's it's all a bit different, but <laughs> solve that, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Well, Josh, it's been uh, you know, that's been a really good discussion. I hope people have enjoyed that. Um, you know, we yeah. we we thought we would uh we we'd pick up on that um, you know, on that subject. We thought it would be a you know a good one to talk about. And you know, who knows where all this is going. I mean, it's gonna be really interesting to see, you know, in the next five years where we are then to compare to where we are now and perhaps we can pick that up and have another discussion yeah, in a few years time and, and sort of look back on this episode and go oh wow we were talking about 30 frames a second ah man that's nothing we did 200 <laughs> yeah. i i think i think if you summarize it you know there's not many negatives when it comes to mirrorless frankly but if you want to go out and take a great picture you can do that with any setup. I think that's yeah. the general gist of it, you know, as I'm thinking about it as we're talking. Uh, yeah, and you know what? The, you know, the, the, the most useful photography tool that you have at your disposal is your brain. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the most important thing to remember. And when we talk about all this sort of amazing technology, really expensive kit, which, you know, I know for a lot of people, <laughs> including me, um, you know, isn't, isn't as accessible you know, as often as we would like. I mean, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to to uh, replace my camera every year and go for the latest stuff, but it's just not it's not feasible for me mm -hmm. at the moment. So, you know, and I know a lot of people are in that situation. You you know, you don't need, you know, to spend tens of thousands of pounds, you know, on the latest kit to get really great wildlife images that have impact. I said the most important thing at your disposal is your brain. You know, and, and and that's what composes and creates the image. The camera 
and the lens is, is just a tool to capture what you have in your mind and, and remember that. Cameras are getting smarter. There's a lot more intelligence, intelligence in cameras. And you look at the uh, all the computerization, and if, if that's a word, computerization, I'll use it. Uh, it cannot teach you composition. It's not going to compose an image for you. You have to have an eye, and you have to be able to compose an image. And the good news is um, technology is never going to catch up with that. It's never going to teach you that. It's never going to do that. It's something that needs to come from you, and it's going to come from you as a photographer. So that this, at the end of the day, is still an art form rather than yeah and actually thinking thinking about it is it not an opportunity because if the cameras are doing so much more for for everybody these days so you know with the autofocus systems with the exposure and everything else is that not going to lead to a glut of images that all look the same yeah we see that now look at social media i mean it's it's you know i see a lot of the same you know, a lot of people are starting to say, look, I'm looking at too many images of the same thing. And most people will say, I think um, a lot of great photographers are starting to say less is more. And I agree. I mean, if you want to spend time scrolling through a social media feed or looking at work, you want it to stick out. You want it to count. And it's harder now. But I think it's like you said, Rob, I think it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity yeah. to have, you know, photographers have their work stand out more above the pack because there's a lot of imagery now that's really middle of the road. It's portrait it's animal you know square in the frame or you know it's it's because a the camera that. is doing everything for you yeah that's right pretty much so you're going to get this situation where pretty much everything looks the same yeah. until you start mm -hmm. taking control of that of the thing that you've got in your hands uh, and start to employ your brain to think of different ways to capture the subject to stand out from the crowd which is why i say i think your brain is the most important tool and, you know, if you want to create something different, it starts there. Yep. It starts with an idea. I mean, I've got images that have taken me over a year, and I'm sure you're the same, have taken me over a year to get. Yeah, most of the best images that we have, they're planned. There's some sort of thought. You know, there's a lot of mm. thinking. It's very rarely do I have an image that I can say was, you know, I'm really proud of, and it was just this complete reactive moment where I just picked up the camera and snapped it. You know, there's a lot of planning that goes into this stuff, to your point. It's it's yeah. using your brain. So let's let's not forget that technology is great, but it's not as good as what you've got between your ears. Yeah, you know it really isn't. That's the most important thing. And if you can combine the two, well, great. You know, I'm really looking forward to to actually what's what's going to come. You know, from this sort of revolution, because I do think it's as important as we said right at the start as that move from film to digital. You know, twenty years ago. You know, I, th I think it's as important as that, um, you know, and I remember those conversations from people saying, oh, digital is never going to take over from film, film, it's a purist thing, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I haven't heard anybody making that comment for 10 years because <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody's shooting digital. I know there are a few people that, that, that will shoot film for, you know, and I think, you know, there, there's some, you know, there's some merit in that depending on you know, your style and, 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 and your, you know, your style of photography. I think it's still, a, there's still room for film um, you and, know, as an art form. And even if the camera has an issue or it doesn't acquire focus or sharpness, you have all these tools now in post-processing like Topaz AI and denoise and it or sharpen where, you know, you could recover images that otherwise you would scrap years ago too. So there's yeah. that even on the back end. So, yeah, exactly. 
But uh, no, it, it's going to be interesting. So let's look back on this episode in five years' time, and uh, and and let's let's see where we are. So I think it'd be really really interesting. I mean, it's where's it going? Where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? I, I'm I'm yeah. I think it's a really exciting time to be a photographer, actually. Yeah, it is. You know, with all this kit, as long as you don't get too carried away with it. Um, you know, and, and remember that, you know, as I said, the most important thing I think is, you know, is, is what's between your ears. Um, but you know, the, the tools obviously help. I mean, it's, it's just, just going to be incredible. So, uh, we'll see where it goes, but, uh, anyway, Josh, that's, it's been, uh, it's been good to, to, uh, to, to chat about that and, uh, <laughs> air our, air our views. I hope everybody's enjoyed that discussion. Um, and, uh, well, you know, uh, what, what's next for you, uh, over the next, few weeks what you what you up to yeah i'm gonna do some shooting you know continue with migration you fall colors will be coming in the northeast u.s that's a big thing of course, so yeah. i'm gonna head up to there's some spots in northern pennsylvania some waterfall spots i'll be shooting waterfalls and there's some spots up in the adirondack mountains i'm gonna try to get in which is in uh, northern new york it's a great spot for fall color so some landscapes uh elk rut is happening soon i'll try to get some elk um, and just follow the migration and take shots whenever I can. So uh, exciting. I'm looking forward to yeah. it and the cooler yeah. weather. Well, I'm looking forward to doing some fungi in some of the local woods, and I'm also looking forward to getting down and shooting some shorebirds or waders, as we call them, as you know, um, down on the coast. So it'd be nice to, to get down there now the migrants are coming in. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see where we go. We get, get, uh, get back into the saddle as it were after a, a, you know, a pretty dry summer in all senses of the word. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the cooler weather, which is arriving. So uh, yeah, anyway, so nice misty atmospheric autumnal mornings. That's what I'm looking yeah, forward to. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Anyway, Josh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Good to hear. Right. And uh, well, well, we'll see everybody again next time. Hope everybody's enjoyed that episode. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you again next time. Thanks all. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms giving us a like and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.